Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. I doubt very highly we're going to get through the entire chapter today. Uh, if we get through verse 6, I'll be very happy. This, these chapters, um, 17 and 18, are, are pivotal, are important in the book of Revelation because it speaks of the destruction of Babylon, which Babylon has never been destroyed um, you may be asking yourself, what do you mean by that? Well, Babylon was never completely destroyed as a city. It, it lay in ruin after the Medes and the Persians. When they, when they came against the Babylonians, remember it's recorded for us in Daniel's, um, Daniel's prophecy in his book, that there came a time when Belshazzar was having that party with the chalices and the things from the temple. Remember that? And that very night they were ransacked by the Medes. Darius and the Medes, and they took control, but they didn't destroy Babylon. They didn't destroy it. It was such a beautiful place. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Many of the things in Babylon, the hanging gardens, the, 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 the sculptures, the, the architecture was unparalleled. And so they, they didn't want to break it apart and destroy it, but rather they kept it. And it continued through the Medes and the Persians, but as time went on, the city just became, became, it grew into ruin. It wasn't because it was destroyed. But the Bible speaks of a time yet future to us. And we'll look more at this next week and maybe the week following. Because we're probably going to be three weeks in these two chapters. Because there are plenty of prophetic passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah that speak of <clears throat> Babylon being totally destroyed in an instant being destroyed, and it's a very final blow, and it's the, 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 word, the details concerning it are something different than what we've observed in history. And I want to encourage you in that, because Babylon is yet to be revived. The, the, the city Babylon is going to be rebuilt on the river, right on the river, on the side there in the river Euphrates in the Middle East. Saddam Hussein began building it in the 80s and the 90s, and remember, the Gulf War stopped him dead in his tracks. But there were a number of things that he accomplished during that time. And it's just waiting there. The city of Babylon, which started way back in infancy in the book of Revelation, or back, book of Genesis, excuse me, and we'll look at that this morning. In Revel, uh, I keep calling it Revelation. Help, Lord. Uh, Genesis 11, we'll be looking at that. The very foundation of Babylon was pagan in its origin. And it's going to, and, and the human history really began in this city, and it's ultimately going to end there as well. It's a tale of two cities, but it's really one. It's one city. And for a long time, I thought that Babylon couldn't be rebuilt because most of it still lay in ruins, even though there's some semblance of it building and, and remnants of it even right now from Saddam Hussein. But one thing we have to remember is that when the church is removed, there could very well be a period of time before the tribulation begins. You know, we, we, we've talked about in terms of, you know, from your perspective looking at me, that there is this time of the church age, and then once the church is removed, then the tribulation period begins, the seven-year period. That is true. However, in, once the church is removed, there may be a series, a, a number of years between when the church is removed until the, you know, until the, um, that peace treaty that the Antichrist is going to make with the children of Israel to allow them to build their temple. There could be 25, 30, 50 years 
And in that time, it's very easy for Babylon to be rebuilt again before the Great Tribulation really begins. Because what really starts the Great Tribulation is that covenant, that peace treaty, that this man of sin who Israel doesn't know him any more than any other politician, but he's going to give them the ability to rebuild their temple. But that is going to be the moment that's going to start the clock ticking for Daniel's final seven-year period. Does that make sense? And so there may be a period of time, and it doesn't take very long for a city to be built, especially one that's already had its beginnings already. We see cities springing up. You look at Dubai, for instance. Dubai is one of those cities that used to be a desert, and just in under 10 or 15, 20 years, this thing is one of the, it's huge, and it's glorious, it's beautiful. And so it's not a long shot to think that Babylon can't be rebuilt again. And we know that that's going to be the political and economic and spiritual center ultimately in the very last days before Jesus returns. And so chapter 17 and 18, uh, over the next couple weeks, chapter 17 uh, really refers to the destruction of the harlot church, which is the compromised apostate church that's going to be on the earth when the real church, you and I, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are part of the real church. Do you know the difference? There is a universal church which people claim to belong to, and maybe they do. And only God knows who really belongs to him. If you're born again, you belong to him. If you ever doubt the question, if somebody asks you the question, well, are you a a Christian? Don't just give the answer, well, I'm Catholic. No, because I've asked people that, and they tell me. I say, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I'm Catholic. And I said, that's not really what I asked. (laughs) Are you a Christian? There's the difference, okay? And there are many Catholics who really do know the Lord, and they're still remaining in that system. For what reason, I have no idea. But they're still there. God loves them. He loves all of them. And he would love to have them come out of that, because it is a false system. But God is... um, So that system is, uh, is coming. It's coming. And so this destruction of the harlot church is going to really, um, this chapter 17 is really going to be speaking about the destruction of that religious system. And when we get into chapter 18, we're going to see the destruction of the physical Babylon. And that will include the economic and political uh, base, which is going to be there, yet future to us. So it will be rebuilt again, we believe. It's not a... um, a code name for Rome. And we'll look more at that as we go along. But let's go ahead and read chapter 17, and then we'll get into it. Again, we're not going to get a great deal into this chapter. There's a lot here, I'll be honest with you, and I've read a a ton of things, and I've, I've enjoyed it immensely, and I've had to come to some conclusions based on what I've read and based on what I've heard from very reputable men of God. And and so that's what I'm going to share with you. I'm not going to give you... Um, I, want, I don't want to give you, uh, I'm going to do the best I can to share those things. So let's read this. It says in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, and with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. 
The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names, notice, are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Then they see the beast that was, or when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. I love the finality of that. Amen. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of Lords. Notice capital L, Lord of Lords. And he's also the king, capital K, of lowercase kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Hallelujah. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked. They will eat her flesh, burn her with fire. Doesn't sound like very nice guys, does it? For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so this morning we are looking at a religious system, a religious system. And it's interesting to me that uh, we're going to see this false religious system, which is really an ecumenical gathering of all different religions, we see it, and you'll see, the, the, one of the things that makes it confusing in, in the Bible is that we're going to see that the woman is somewhat synonymous with the city that it belongs to. And I believe that city is Rome. The woman and the city. As just like the Antichrist, the beast is synonymous with the kingdom that he rules over. Does that make sense? They're very much, it's almost, they're almost indistinguishable, meaning the woman and Rome, who I believe is Rome, and then the beast and his dominion in this final world kingdom, this revived Roman Empire. They, are, they, 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 they kind of are like melded in together. It's hard to separate the two or hard to separate each one from those entities. 
So let's go back into verse 1 here. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Remember, it was the seven angels in the chapter prior in 16 that we saw that was pouring the bowls of wrath of God out upon the earth. It says one of these seven angels. So now it's one of those kind, one of those specifically. They come, and they came and they talked with me, saying to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. The great harlot who sits on many waters. This word harlot in the Greek is the Greek word porny, which is where we get our word pornography. She's a harlot. She is a fornicator. And not so much physically, although it it does include that, but spiritually she is a harlot. Meaning she has no uh, devoted husband. You and I have a devoted husband, Jesus Christ. We are married to him, and hopefully we don't commit spiritual adultery with him. And by committing spiritual adultery would be like belonging to Christ or saying you belong to Christ, but also dabbling in Eastern mysticism, you know, maybe uh, doing a little bit of, you know, Hinduism, maybe a little Buddhism. and, And in your heart, you're just not really completely sold out to the idea that he is God. He paid the price for your sin. But you're just like, oh, there's some other roads here that could be possible. Maybe I'll worship all, and then hopefully one of them will be right, and then I'll be in. It doesn't work that way. Narrow is the path. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, but wide is the gate, and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many there be that go on that road. It is a very narrow road that you and I are on if you're a Christian, but it's open to every single human being that's ever been born, and I love that. God put me on that road. (laughs) I think we can all say that, and I know I can, I never purposed to get on that road, It wasn't even in my heart to get on that road. God put me on that road. I was in rebellion against him until he invaded my life, just as he did yours, hopefully all of us. He invaded your life at some point, made you aware of him, and he is the one who put you on that narrow path. But we see all around us spiritual adultery. Churches in this area that are going to be just fine in the church that's happening in the end days after the church is removed. They are going to assimilate into that ecumenical movement very seamlessly. It's going to be like butter and toast. Because they're already compromised. There are churches in this city that embrace homosexuality. There are churches in this city, and I know one of them specifically, that has a homosexual male as the pastor, and he's married to his gay lover. And the church is okay with that. Do you see a problem with that? I do. And that's not being cold and nasty. That's not being critical and judgmental. No, that's just being biblical. Don't ever let them use that words on you. If you're being judgmental, you'll know it, but hey, the truth is the truth right? The truth is the truth. Never be ashamed of the truth, no matter what label they place on you. Oh, you're being judgmental because you say that. No, I'm not. I'm just being faithful to what the Word of God says. And yes, it's going to draw a line in the sand. Yes, you're going to get some, you're going to get some opposition. Yes, people aren't going to like you. But did they like Jesus? When he went to the cross, he went there alone. Everybody fled from him, his closest fled from him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Only John and a bunch of women, thank God the women were there, 
The women had more guts than the men. They were the only ones there was Jesus hung on the cross. But this ecumenical church is already in full steam. And boy, it's gaining momentum, folks. That's why it's important that we teach the word of God. That's why it's important that you call out and encourage others to come to church. If I'm not teaching the word, take them somewhere else. But if I am teaching the word of God, or any church that's teaching the word of God faithfully, bring them to that church because they need to hear the truth, unadulterated and being obedient to it. Because everyone, (laughs) there's so many places now that are into a feel-good kind of thing. You know, it's okay if you're gay. It's okay. No, it's not okay. And, And by the way, it's not okay to live in fornication either. Everybody harps on the homosexual thing, but let me tell you, there are a lot of heterosexuals that are living in sin and maybe even some in this church. And folks, if that's the case, you need to repent. It's no different Sin is sin. Homosexuality and also heterosexual fornication is sin. And God will not say, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. And even in the Christian church, even in the Protestant Christian church, even in Calvary chapels, there are men and women who are flirting around with things that they ought not to. Folks, it's time that we, as the church, get serious about our faith. It's time that we really say, Lord, consume all of me. I want you to have all of me. Can you see what's happening in the world now? Do you see how it's being prepared? Right before eyes, we live in an unparalleled time, unprecedented time. We've used that, we've heard that word a lot. But boy, is it happening. It's happening. It's unprecedented. We are on the verge of something. Do you, you know it too. We are on the verge of it. And we either need to wake up, or as my grandfather says, I either need to fish or cut bait. I need to get with the program, or I need to get off the program, but make your calling and election sure. Isn't that what it's about? Please, I beg you to take your relationship with Christ serious. Don't let it be just a part of your life. Believe me, let it consume all of your life, because you're going to be the better for it anyway. It's so important. Do you understand? Don't be a part of this harlot church that is in the world today, It's in Protestant Christianity. It's in Rome. It's in Catholicism. It's all going to come together at some point, and they're all going to sing kubaya together, and and everyone's going to feel fine with that. But the real church, the true, true church of Jesus Christ, those who are born again of God's Spirit are going to be taken out before. They're going to be taken out. God's going to remove us. Do you want to be in that number? Oh, when the saints, oh, when the saints, when the saints come marching in. Bear with me. Oh, how I love to be in that number. When the saints go marching in. Amen. Right? I want to be in that number. I want to be in the number. And I am in the number. Is it because I'm a good person? No, I'm a wretch. But I was, just like this says in, this, in Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I need to know that I'm a wretch before I can be saved. And now that I am saved, does it make me perfect? No, I'm more aware of my sin now more than ever. But hopefully I'm sinning less than I used to be. And it's true. 
God is conforming us to his image. It is a process. Don't be discouraged when you fall. You get right back up again, Christian, and you, you confess it, and you give your heart to him, and you start fresh, and he says, great, let's go on and do great things. I for, I've, I've forgiven you. It's, it's gone. I cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. It's done. Do you believe it, though? We don't often believe that. We sin, and we kind of walk around like Eeyore for weeks. Or days. Oh, I did it again. I can't believe it. I'm such a doofus. I'm such a doofenshmirtz. And God says, why are you crying? Yeah, you sinned, but didn't you ask for forgiveness? And didn't you, did my blood indeed wash you from all unrighteousness as my word has said? Do you believe that? so important to believe that. Again, it's not cheap. It's not cheap grace. No, it's, it's costly. But when you understand the cost that was paid for your, for your sin, how important it is. And it honors him to say, you know what? I'm, I, I'm done with that. I know he's forgiven me of that. Now walk in newness of life and don't touch it again. And if you do and you fall again, what do you do? Do you give up and throw in the towel and join the church of Satan? No. A righteous man falls down, he gets up seven times, gets up eight times, nine times. You just keep getting up and you keep confessing, asking God to give you the grace, the the gift of repentance. Sometimes that takes a while for us to hate our sin enough to and then finally repent of it. Is that do you find that true in your own life? There have been things in my life where I've hated it, I hated it, and I hated it, and I hated it, and I've kept doing it, and I hated it, and finally you're just like, man, I am just so sick of me. I am just so sick of me. Lord, save this wretch. And he goes, great. And even as a Christian, you keep confessing and you keep asking and you keep fighting. Fight it, fight it, fight it. Don't cave in for one minute. You don't want to be a part of the harlot church. And that's really what he's speaking of here. In the end days, there is going to be a harlot church. It's going to be an ecumenical movement full of Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, you name it, Hare Krishnas, uh, whatever it is, Zoroastrians. It's going to be filled with all kinds of New Age stuff, and it's going to sound so good because Babylon is at the center of all those mystery things. The mystery religions of Babylon. But the word is porne. In this word, great harlot, we see it here in the first verse, and we're also going to see it when we get to Revelation chapter 19, where it says that in verse 2, it says, For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servant shed by her. This harlot church is going to persecute you, Christian. It's been doing it. And I don't believe that it's just Rome. I don't believe that it's just Rome. There have been those who said the harlot church is Rome, but actually it's much broader than that. They're certainly part of it. But it's also going to include Protestantism, Romanism, the New Age movement. It's going to include the whole thing. It's going to include the whole thing. And they have shed the blood. Collectively and individually, they have killed the saints of God. They have shed blood the Roman Catholic Church and the Inquisition between the 12th and the 16th century, they killed thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the Inquisition 
because they thought they were heretic, because they, many of them were heretics, but many of them were the true church of Jesus Christ. People like Martin Luther, who nailed the 95 things that were wrong, <laughs> nailed them on the door of the church at Wittenberg. This word harlot occurs five times in Revelation, but this great harlot is the false religious system. She is Satan's counterfeit religion, an imitation of the true bride of Christ. Satan doesn't come up with anything new. He counterfeits what we know to be true, and that's the greatest form of deception. He doesn't create anything new. We'd be able to spot it out. No, it's so similar, so very close to what the Bible says about the bride of Christ and our relationship with with the Lord. He says, well, I'm just going to do the same thing. He also has a demonic trinity. We have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Devil goes, that's a really great idea. Now, if I come up and I only have one person who's deceiving, nobody will believe that. But if I can have this uh, myself, Satan, you know, saying, speaking to himself, and I can have a false prophet like Jesus, and a, or I'm sorry, a beast, an antichrist like Jesus, and then a false prophet like the Holy Spirit, boy, people take to that. Three in one. Hmm, sounds familiar. But this harlot church, again, is a combination of apostate Protestantism, Romanism, atheism. It's going to be a huge ecumenical movement. Dave Hunt had a really great book that he wrote many years ago called A Woman Rides the Beast. And he really speaks of the very formation of, uh, of Rome being part. And in his estimation, it's, it's pretty much the Roman church, the Roman Catholicism in Rome, Italy, and in all over the, the world for that matter. He has some pretty good arguments for that. And you look at the vestiges of Roman Catholicism. And if you're a Roman Catholic or you're, you're listening here, I'm not bashing you personally, but I am trashing your religion. <laughs> I'm not bashing you specifically, okay? Do you understand the difference? It's sort of like a homosexual and the homosexuality. We bash the homosexuality because that's what the word of God, he's against it. But the person themselves, do we, do we trash them? Do we beat them? No, we don't. We love them. But hopefully they'll come to their understanding of God's will and they'll repent. Same thing here. Same thing. But he wrote a, a fantastic book and he traces the very foundation of Babylon We'll look more at this in the next couple of weeks, but Babylon started, uh, the, the religion that was started there, the false religion with the ziggurat that they built that went into the heavens. We'll look at that a little bit more today, but from that place, in that plain of Shinar, after the flood, was exported all kinds of mystery religions all throughout the world, and they're very present with us today. They have their formation, their foundation back in Genesis 11, at that time of Babel, which is renamed Babylon. It's just a shortened term for it. It means confusion. Babel means confusion. Babylon is the city of confusion. Sounds like a place I want to live. Sounds like Pennsylvania right now, and Michigan, and Georgia, and Nevada, and and Wisconsin. Cities of confusion. The apostate church, even in Roman Catholicism. Just recently, on October 21st, 
There's an article that speaks about Pope Francis, and I just want to read an excerpt of it for you. And don't worry, I'm going to get on the case of the Protestants in just a moment, but you need to hear this because this is just one of many. There's a whole list of, of things that are, that are going on in, the, in Roman Catholicism that are heretical. There are many things in the Protestant church that are happening that are heretical too. But let me just read one to you. It's fairly recent. It says, Pope Francis endorsed same-sex civil unions for the first time. And I'm reading to you from an article. I can, I can give you the article. I can send you the link. You can look at it for yourself. But it says he endorsed, he endorsed same-sex civil unions for the first time as Pope while being interviewed for the feature-length documentary Francesco. It's kind of, kind of nice. Which had its premiere at the Rome Film Festival on Wednesday. The papal... Uh, the, the, the papal thumbs up came halfway through the film that delves into issues Francis cares about most, including the environment, poverty, migration, racial and income inequality, and the people most affected by discrimination. And, and he says, quote, homosexual people have the right to be in a family. They are children of God. Francis said in one of his sit-down interviews for the film, what we have to have is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. Really? While serving as Archbishop of Buenos Aires, Francis endorsed civil unions for gay couples as an alternative to same-sex marriages. However, he had never come out publicly in favor of civil unions as Pope. Juan Carlos Cruz, who was gay, said that during his first meeting with the Pope in May of 2018, Francis assured him that God made, that God made Cruz gay. Cruz tells his own story in snippets throughout the film chronicling both Francis's evolution on understanding sexual abuse as well as to document the Pope's views on gay people. And so we even have a Pope in Rome that's the head of the Roman Catholicism that is saying it's okay. God made you that way. It would be very cruel for him to condemn what he's made. But let me suggest to you that God does no such thing. He makes no one gay. He makes no one be a bank robber. He makes no one do anything. That is all on you. It's all on you. It's all on us, what we do. He's not responsible for the gay man or woman. He loves them. Don't misunderstand that. He loves them. He wants to see them come out of that. There's no doubt about that. He loves them. But does he condone the sin? No. So why should the Pope? Every Catholic in America should be calling or doing something and saying, Mr. Pope, Mr. Francis, we've got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And they should be questioning. They should be outraged. He does not make the rules. God does. He makes the rules. Amen? But hey, let's not let the Protestants off the hook either. The United Methodist Church has gone through a split. We, we know back in January, this, this last January, even the Protestant Church, the United Methodist Church leaders are proposing a split into more than one denomination in a bid to resolve years of debate over LGBTQ clergy and same-sex weddings, according to the church's official news agency. The new proposal calls for a traditionalist Methodist denomination opposed to gay marriage and ordination of LGBT uh, clergy. Um, and so what you have here is a Protestant church that now has to split because a, a faction of them decided that it's okay to have gay clergy. It's okay to marry same-sex individuals. 
And the church is split. And they did. They split. You got one group that has the rainbow flag out front. And you got other ones that are holding to the Bible the best they can, right? So it's even happening in Protestantism. So the Catholic Church is not the problem. It's part of the problem. But the Protestants are a mess too. And why are they a mess? Because they are not looking to Jesus Christ. They're looking at men. They're looking at traditions of men. They're not looking at God. They're not reading the word of God anymore. They're feeling it out. Well, I feel like this. I feel, <laughs> I feel like this. Hey, listen, our feelings don't mean anything. Feelings can be very dangerous. Has anybody given in to feelings and find yourself in a mess? I'll raise my hand. Yeah. Followed my feelings, got in a mess. So this harlot church is well underway. And I pray that none of us follow that pattern. I pray that we all draw closer to him and invite others to come in. What did God say? He said it several times. And even in the book of Revelation, come out from among her, my people. Come out from among that system. That system that embraces everything for the sake of inclusion and for the sake of feeling good. Hey, listen, the church is never supposed to be a place where you necessarily feel good all the time. If you leave this building feeling good about yourself and, and being able to walk away in your sin and go, it's okay, the pastor said so. Hey, there's something really wrong. And I'll be honest with you, there's an edge to me right now, and I'll be honest with you. I think I can say it's probably true for many people, but I'll be, right now, I am, I, I just, there, I'm just so on edge about so many things. And I know that I need to rest. I know I need to give it to the Lord. I'm, I'm going through something. I'm looking at what I'm seeing, and I can't just keep my mouth shut anymore. I'm looking at what I'm reading and the things that I'm seeing, and I'm like, boy, the writing is so clear on the wall. It couldn't be any more clear. It's a neon light blinking and flashing with red arrows doing this kind of thing. And, and foolish am I if I don't see it, if I don't warn. My heart is a mess. just because of what our country is going through right now. We're on the verge. I know God is going to have his way. He is. He's going to have his way. But do you love it? Do you love your country? I love Jesus more. But I do love my country. I'm a patriot. My father, my grandfather, my great-father, great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather all served in the military of this country to keep it. We have a foundation. We have a good foundation, a Christian foundation. Many don't believe that, but it's true. It's a Christian foundation. I've got the mus. Actually, my uncle's got the musket ball of one of my ancestors, or, you know, his, uh, my great-great-great-grandpa or my great-great-grandpa, who's in the Civil War. He's got the musket ball that he was shot with in the Civil War. I've seen it with my own eyes. He was shot with it, and then they, they had to, he went to a, 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 a farm, and they had to dig the thing out of him, and they patched him up, and there's the musket ball. It's about that big around, and it was shaped. You can see how crudely it was shaped, and they wrapped it. It was all bloody, and they wrapped it in a piece of American flag, and they gave it to his wife. That was passed down through the family, and my uncle's got it. I saw it with my own eyes. 
These men fought for the right things. This country means a lot. To whom much is given, much is required. We ought not to let her fall to the floor and be trampled over by a bunch of radicals. But let me tell you how I really feel. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm trying to make light of that because I'm, I'm in a very, uh, I've been in a very serious mood. And my heart, again, is in shambles. But I know God is working, and he's going to do great things. So we don't want to become part of this church system that we see already in the world. And it's going to find its amalgamation, its final uh, expression after we are, have been removed. It's going to be there. But a church which calls itself Christian and which courts an alliance with the godless world system, it commits spiritual adultery. What does it tell us in James? He says, James 4 verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you know? Do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So why is it that churches are friend with the world? Letting the world system come into the church and say it's okay. No, it's not okay. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does it say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15? He says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so the church's love affair with the world will never produce within us Christ's likeness, nor will it convict others and draw people to the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. He said this to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And notice he says, Now you are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. But then he says, finally, But you are also the lights of the world. Because after he is, was crucified and resurrected and ascended, he says, Now you are to carry that light the very witness of God. He who now restrains will restrain until he is taken out of the way. Folks, you and I, with the Spirit of God in us, are restraining everything that's happening right now. But once we are removed, oh, the floodgates. Have you ever seen the videos of the tsunami in 2000, or was it was 2011? I forget, I forget what, I think that was it, 2011, yeah. We, we, were, we just came back from Bulgaria or Israel. And we saw on the screens there in the Philadelphia airport, we saw live video of the tsunami coming into uh, the, the, those towns in Indonesia. And we saw the, the buildings and the cars and the people just, it was horrible, remember? That's what it's going to be like, spiritually, once the church is removed. But this figure of a woman... This harlot is used symbolically of religion. It always has been. We see it even in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus is writing to the letter uh, to the church at Smyrna. What does he tell them? He says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. As for your works, that the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who is probably the pastor's wife, perhaps, many believe, who calls herself a prophetess. And what does she do? She teaches and seduces my servant to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So not only physical fornication, but spiritual fornication. And didn't we see that in King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was over the 450 prophets of Baal? Wasn't she the same kind of thing? You know, nobody names their daughter Jezebel anymore. Probably good, probably good, you know. It's like how many people have a child and, you know, a beautiful baby girl comes out and the father's holding her and he's like, she's so precious. I think I'll call her Jezebel. 
Nobody calls their child Jezebel. She's synonymous with evil. She's synonymous with fornication and uncleanness. But notice here in verse 1 again, we're not going to get very far. But that's okay, because you know what? This, these two chapters are, are significant. And remember, there are parenthetical chapters, which means that chronologically, where they're located right after the seven bold judgments, it doesn't mean that these, these th- events are going to happen after the seven bold judgments. No, this is, the, this is uh, an expose, if you will, of the destruction of Babylon that's going to happen. And the first part, chapter 17, is going to happen sometime in the first half before the Antichrist sits an image of himself. Chapter 18 is going to be in the second half of the tribulation that lasts three and a half years because that's when it's going to physically be destroyed. Physically, Babylon physically is going yet to be destroyed. And it's going to be visible. And so this chapter is sort of like part one and part two. Part one, chapter 17 in the first half. Part two, chapter 18 in the second half. So notice, he says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Notice who sits on many waters. And and down further in this chapter, we'll see that the waters which you saw, and it defines for us what those waters are. It tells us. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to, you know, um, strain to find out. The Bible tells us. After all, the book of Revelation is a book of unveiling, not concealing. Remember that. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples. That's what the waters are. They represent peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And notice in verse 2, and with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Notice that she committed fornication with the kings of the earth And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. People of the earth at this time, they're going to be carelessly enjoying. That's what wine is. It's a symbol of joy. But they're going to be enjoying this union of the state and the church being together. And it's going to feel like great. And everybody gets along. We can put aside all the doctrinal issues and we can just come together and hold the one candle and sing Imagine by John Lennon. Maybe even break out that old Coke commercial. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect perfect harmony. So we're going to see that's what's coming. That's what's coming. And of course, the fornication here is as spiritual adultery, unholy alliances, and politicians. They've always courted the church and sought to curry favor throughout history. We see that even here at the end of the age, the revived Roman Empire will use the compromised apostate church until she is no longer useful. She will be a means to an end to the Antichrist, and then she'll be destroyed. We're going to see that at the end of this chapter, that the ten kings that are going to be with the Antichrist, somewhere before the midpoint of the tribulation, he's going to destroy her because her usefulness is no longer needed. She will become useless because he will set up an image of himself. So he allows her to thrive for a season until the midpoint, remember? And he puts an image of himself, and it's at that point he says, I have no longer any need of your services. You're fired. 
and he'll put an image of himself and the world will worship him. He will destroy that church. So he carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. She was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And we'll look at this seven heads and, heads and ten horns again. We spent quite a bit of time on it when we were in Revelation chapter 13. We'll, we'll recap that a little bit later on in this chapter. Probably not today, as I'm looking at the clock and my heart is breaking. But notice he carried me away in the spirit. Now where was John when he received this revelation? He was on the Isle of Patmos. It was a penal colony that the Roman emperor at the time put him on. An old man out in the Aegean Sea on this little, small little island. He thought he could get rid of him. John is there and he's given in a vision in the spirit not physically, but in a, in a dream, in a vision, however that works, I don't really know, but he led him into this place, yet future to us even, and he showed him things to come. Isn't that what the Spirit of God says in John chapter 14, that when he comes, he will convict the world of truth, but one of the things he will also do is to show you things to come. Wasn't he doing that very same thing here with John the Apostle? taking him right to the end and showing him the things that were coming yet upon the earth. Showing him the whole thing and writing it down for us. And I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in knowing that a God loves me so much that he's willing to show me things to come so that I don't fret, so that I don't be consumed with fear. Would you be fearful if you saw the things that are going on right now? Many people are already, but to, not to understand where it's going and ultimately the end game. I can't imagine not being a Christian in this time. I've known the Lord for more than half of my lifespan. I, don't rem- I can't even remember a time. I don't even remember what I thought beforehand. Can you relate to that? You've been serving, been with the Lord long enough. You don't even remember what your mind was thinking before then. It's like a, it's like a person that's dead, and really that's what it was, right? All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. I'm a new creature in Christ. The old man is dead, right? So I don't even remember what it's like, but do you know there's people all around us? They don't know what's coming. They don't have any foundation. This is it for them. This is it. For them, and they want their freedom. But freedom to them means no restraints, no boundaries. As a parent, you know that that's hogwash. A parent who loves his child will give him boundaries, clearly defined boundaries. You go outside of that boundary, Johnny, and you're going to get spanked. And what do they do? There's the boundary. Right? That's exactly what they do. God puts boundaries there because he loves us. But their freedom means without bounds. It reminds me of Psalm 2. Let us cast our cord from, let us cast his cord from us. And I liken that cord to like an umbilical cord. I I can't help but see that vision of a mother with a child. When my daughter was born, she came out and that umbilical cord was there. And I got to cut that cord. When I read Psalm 2, I can never read it the same again. 
Because I think of God and his, his heart toward us and his love toward us. Wants to give us everything. It's like that umbilical cord. He wants to give us everything. And there's an attachment between us and him. But there are those who want freedom. They want to be away from all that. And they're willing to just say, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this. I just want to cut the cord. Let me do what I want. Just let me do what I want. I want to continue in my sin. I can do it better. And then, and then come to find out a couple years, a year down the road, two weeks, a day. They find themselves hurting, and you're like, you know, don't you understand that that's not the way it works? You're not going to find the greatest fulfillment by being free from all boundaries. The greatest fulfillment is being within the boundaries. To know that there's a boundary. I remember when I was in music school, uh, one of our professors, when I was at Eastman, I remember one time the professor said it was, a, it was like a composition class, and he says, you can... If I came in this morning and I told the whole class, I need you to write a piece and it needs to be 120 measures long. 120 measures long. See you in a couple weeks. Bring back your compositions. He says, if I told you that, you, everybody would be freaking out. Well, what style? Should I do it in the 17th century, you know, Baroque, you know, style? Should I do it in the, you know, the Romantic period? What, is it the Sonata form? Is it the Rondo form? What am I, what, what am I doing? What form are we, I don't know, just make it up. And so, you know, if he, if he doesn't give you any boundaries, people are freaking out. But then he can come in and say, you know what, we're studying the 17th and 18th century. We're studying the 17th century music in the Baroque period. I want you to write a fugue in the style of Bach. You can make it, I need it to be this long. You need to have a developed theme and a counter subject. And hand it in. All of a sudden, there's a great sigh of relief. Now there's parameters. There's parameters around what we do. Now there's a style. We know exactly what, what we're supposed to do. We know the style really well. We even know the little permutations of the melodic figures that Bach used. We can incorporate those things. We can do it in the same style that he did. We could write out the theme and, and have the counter subjects and all the... The fugue elements, sorry, I'm using a lot of musical terms. But the idea is that there's freedom within a boundary. Now I have a sigh of relief. I know where to go. I feel comfortable moving about the cabin. But the world says no boundaries, no rules. And what is the result of that? Chaos. It is chaos. We're going to have to stop there. We barely got started. But, I don't know about you, but these two chapters are going to be really important for us because I think we're not only going to see what's coming, but I think it's going to cause us to reflect on what has already happened. And we're going to go back in history Next week as well, we're going to look at Babylon and where all this came from. You could spend weeks on this. We're not going to do that. But probably another week, at least, in, in this chapter. But God wants his church to be pure. God wants his church to be holy. We don't want to be like this church. Can anyone see that right now before our own eyes? Can you see it? Have you been in congregations? Maybe churches within the city? And again, not everyone, but they're, they're there. <laughs> Ch 
Churches that embrace all these things, they, they think it's okay. Some churches even embrace abortion. A woman should have her right because that's God's love. Really? It's God's love? So you see my point? We're already, the church in America and in the world, not you, hopefully, none of us, but there are portions of the church that have embraced this ecumenical stuff. And boy, is sometimes it can be hard to resist if you're thinking in a worldly way because the world says you're not really a loving church, people, because you don't embrace these things. And these people really love each other. Saw a, a video of the um, of the, the United Methodists, and there's some of the things, and these men are you know kissing each other, and I'm like, I, I just I can't. It's just so it doesn't make any sense. Women kissing each other, going down the aisle, and people say, well, they love God is love, so this has to be okay. No, it doesn't. Does that make me a bigot? You can call me a bigot. Does it make me unloving? You can call me unloving if you want. When I become unloving is when I stop being approaching these things and, and not loving. I don't have to condone it. I don't have to accept it. But can I still be loving? I can. And therein lies the challenge for all of us. As we see these things going on, I do. I get angry. And sometimes that anger comes out, Right? But I'm asking the Lord, and I would ask you to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to know how to reach these people. Because God loves them. He doesn't hate them. He hates their sin, just like he hates our sin. But I want to have a better heart. Because I'll be honest with you, my heart is not so good sometimes. And sometimes it does come out, and I hurt people. Unnecessarily, unwittingly even, unwillingly sometimes, my body language betrays me. Maybe my tone betrays me. I still hold to that conviction, but how I deal with that is really important, isn't it? How I deal with that. So as we look at this chapter and as we examine the, the harlot church that is already in formation that will ultimately find its amalgamation in the end times, Ask yourself those hard questions and, and go to the prayer closet and say, Lord, help me not to be judgmental. And you know what I mean by that. Being judgmental doesn't mean that you can't hold fast to the word of God. I don't know the motives of somebody. I can't judge their motives. But can you judge what they're doing just like you, you can judge what you're doing? You better believe it. You should. Paul says, you know, if I, if I take care of my own business, then God won't have to judge me. No one else will have to judge me because I judge myself. Does that make sense? Let's examine ourselves this, this week about that and confess anything that is not of him and say, Lord, in spite of this, and here's the rub for me personally, as I read these things and I look around and I see how they're uh, th those that are opposed to the church, opposed to the word of God, opposed to God himself, that we are going to go through even more persecution in the days and months ahead. But Lord, help me not to hate. I don't have to be excited about what may come. 
the words that people may say about me, about you, because of our holding to the truth. The first casualty in any war is truth. Do you find that that's a casualty today? Truth? All you have to do is look at Fox News. All you have to do is look at MSNBC. All you have to do is look at CNN. Truth is a casualty. It's died. And we have to ask the hard question again, Lord, do this work in me. Help me to be loving. Help me to be kind. But matter of fact, help me to be solid in my conviction, but to do it with love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, I just confess, Lord, there's been so much anger in my heart, honestly, with everything that's going on. And Lord, I know that you would not have me to be um, um, just roaring inside, God. I I, I believe that the anger is warranted um, because of the things that are going on. I believe that that is warranted, but how I how it changes me and how it's changing me, God. And I pray that you would stop it from wrecking me right now. Lord, I pray that I would have more of you and less of everything else, Lord. If there's anyone in the room that feels the same way, Lord, I pray you do the same for them. Lord, I feel like David, when he was, he was just roaring inside because of his frustration, his anger, and, and certainly dealing with an issue of sin. Lord, help us, Lord, to, to be angry and sin not. And that's a hard thing. Help us to be angry and sin not. First at our own sin and the things around us. And Lord, we thank you for your great love toward us. We thank you that you have purchased us. We are a purchased people. We are your poema. We are your chosen ones. How precious is that, Lord, in your sight? You see us completely different. Lord, I pray that we would see each other different. I pray that we would love each other, and especially those outside of the church, Lord. Help us to fight the good fight and to do it in such a way where they would realize, Lord, that our anger is not toward them, that our frustration is not toward them per se. It's toward the enemy of all of us, and that is the devil himself and what he has done. So, Lord, Comfort us today, Lord. I pray that you'd bless every single one of us. I pray that you'd fill our homes with your light, with the very light of Christ. Fill us, Jesus. Pour out your spirit upon our gatherings. And tonight, Lord, may we enjoy the time with our families. Protect us, Father, physically from the coronavirus, from any virus, the cold virus, the flu, whatever it may be. Protect us from those things, Lord. And help us, Lord. We love you, Jesus, with all of our heart. And we're so thankful for you, Lord. And we pray we can't wait to see you face to face. Would you come and rescue the bride of Christ? And yes, I do. I want to escape. But I also want to be faithful until then. God, help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen.